Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. And I think this is going to be our last show this yeah, year. Yeah, unless, unless. We might do it. We might no do it. No promises, but we, there might be another Stairway Spirits. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. I need, I've been slowing down this year. That's fine. <laughs> You're allowed to do that. Yeah, I know. It's your show. We got, we're starting out. I, th- I can tell you that we're going to start strong next year, though. 2022 is going to be fun for us. But um, I personally got some vacation time coming up here, and I plan on not being very productive at all. I know you're. that's the opposite for you, though, Amber. Uh, yeah. Well, you got all kinds of stuff, but you might help me with some stuff too. Yeah, I need help with things. Yeah, but... I I have a book due in a month and a half. Yeah, you gotta get that done. And I need, I need, ADD medication or something. <laughs> Seriously, or speed, one of the two. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, we're gonna. This is probably gonna be the last thing we do with the ghostly talk stuff this year. Maybe another stairway spirits, as Amber said. Um, well, and I thought oh, we, we had, I don't know if we did it two years in a row, but I think we had Mark Onspa on. We did, yeah. Like, kind of like the past two Christmases, I feel like. I didn't go back and check those dates. So, what I'm going to do, though, is because he wrote stories exclusively for Ghostly Talk, I am going to upload those to the RSS feed individually. So, if you well, use Spotify. a podcast. Well, yeah. no, if, all of the apps. So, if you use a podcast app, whatever you use, when uh, you... I forgot we're on Spotify. We're, yeah, we're on all of it. So most of it. Um, and anyway, you'll you'll cool. see a Mark Onspa story pop up with his great reading voice. And uh, if you didn't, uh, don't remember the stories or maybe just uh, didn't listen to those shows, uh, give them a listen because he is an amazing author. And tonight we had on... Pa- well, patronize the hell out of that guy yep. too. Buy and his books, uh, please. we had Ezekiel Kincaid on. Yeah, another guy we love hanging out and um Ezekiel's cool because he has that uh walking kind of hand in like he's got one foot in the horror genre and one foot he's he's a, been a pastor he's yeah. got a he's got theological degrees yeah and I know that there are a lot of horror movies that deal with uh demons and Christian topics and stuff but one of the things that's fascinating I know on the previous show we had with him which I'll link up on our page um just if you actually do go to our website and click on links. <laughs> but most people, I think, just use – I think I can make a – I know, but I think I can feeds. make – I don't know if I can make things clickable on – I'll have to look and see if I – I don't even know if you can click on links on Spotify or other stuff. I have no idea. I know idea. you can on SoundCloud. Anyway, whatever. I digress. But um, Go to the website, ghostlytalk.com. We do have a website. Yeah. Websites someday, aren't cool Someday anymore. when all of these, these big conglomerates just fall to the ground, which they will, that's my belief – People are going to have to have their homes again, and I and you know I just side note here that's starting to happen more and more. I'm starting to see more and more websites popping up like they used to, like people's there, own there websites. There might be something I don't as know. As opposed to depending on social media for to get your, I, your word out there. I stopped updating my websites because it doesn't matter almost anymore. I mean, you can put stuff on there. Well, most people for just, your information, but if you type in, let's say I type in haunted places in Michigan, yeah. I'm literally just going to get like a Detroit Free Press article of someone who created a listicle. It's not going to be some cool like, oh, that that's a paranormal author over there that's written 10 different books. So they're probably the go-to person to like yeah. get this information from. No, it's going to just give you 
like a bunch of new it's i don't know i don't like the google now well, i think a lot of of the google like that was 10 years ago i think a lot of websites are coming back but they're starting with basically just being portal sites to social media sites so right what, i mean i know i do this with some of the stuff uh, side stuff that i do we have a little portal site that'll link to but, the spotify page yeah. or the the facebook page or instagram but page, there's whatever. a lot more people walking away from social media so well, i wonder saying, if that's why yeah. like people are yeah they want their spaces they again. want their home they want you their know own who died who Anne rice are you kidding me no Oh, I didn't know that. She just passed away uh, a couple days ago. Wow. 80, age 80, compl- complications of a stroke. If you don't know who Anne Rice is, interview with the vampire. Yeah. Lestat. I mean, she kind of rewrote the vampire genre. Yeah. Uh, and, and made sort of, I think, vampires popular to this day. Mark Nesbitt passed away this week, too. What? I Mike, didn't hear Mike, that one. Mike Nesbitt from the Monkees. Oh, I thought you said Mark Nesbitt, no, the no, Ghost no, of Mike, Gettysburg no, no, guy. No, Mike Nesbitt from the Monkees passed away. Yeah, yeah, Mark, yeah. Just yeah. sucky. I think he may have been the last I, living monkey. No, Mickey Dolenz is still alive. Mickey Dolan. Oh, yeah, Mickey Dolenz is still alive. Yep. Good. He, he, so Mickey's still alive. And I think Mickey was the, is the one that was still actively touring. He was still actively touring. Him and Peter Tork played together for a while. But, and Davy Jones did. And those guys, unfortunately, we lost Peter Tork a few couple years couple ago. Davy Jones ago. a few years ago also. Uh, but, yeah, that was kind of sucky to see about Mike Nesbitt. Cause yeah, I, was, I, was like, I think we were all big Monkees fans growing up. I love the Monkees. Yeah, I still do. I, love the, I watched the show. It was on MTV. Or, no, was it on Nickelodeon or MTV? It was MTV? on MTV. Okay. They brought it They they brought it to MTV in the 80s. Yeah, maybe that's where I watched it. And that's what resurged their... Their popularity. Oh, I thought they again, were so cool. They were, they were, I had a cassette awesome. tape of have, their greatest. Hits. I have the vinyl upstairs. Oh. I have all of it on vinyl. Oh, I had a cassette tape. I only listen to my music. What's your favorite on, monkey song? Uh, what's that? Last Train to Kirksville. Yeah, Last I Train like to Valerie. Kirksville. And Valerie, you know, I was just going to say Valerie. Valerie's, I, know, I think, their heaviest well, song. My big sister, our big sister, Valerie, that's her favorite song, too. We've well, talked should to be. her about her name. Well, well, thanks for pointing that out, yep. Amber. Way to go. <laughs> So who do we talk to again tonight, Amber? Ezekiel Kincaid. So a little bit about Ezekiel Kincaid. He brings a unique and original touch to the horror genre. Why? Well, there are a lot of reasons. First, he was a pastor for 20 years, so he knows a thing or three about the demonic, death, and dealing with people in crappy situations. Second, the only other language he is fluent in is sarcasm. (laughs) This means he has a flair for horror comedy. Third, he also has a serious intellectual side, seeing that he has three theological degrees. He can write deep and thought-provoking horror that will make you question everything and poo your pants at the same time. It actually says poo. Poo. Finally, Zeke was a child of the 80s and can do throwback better than you can. He is from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but currently lives... Well, no, 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 no. Baton, he's, Baton he, no, he's back in Louisiana. This was a little outdated. So, enjoy our show with Ezekiel Kincaid. Kincaid again, who was last on the show, I believe, was it like we were just years chatting ago? about? No, we were just chatting was about it that. A year as, ago? It was like almost to the day. A year? Yeah. Something oh like wow! That. Yeah, Ezekiel just pointed that out. So you know, that's cool. 
So, of course, since since we had him on the show, I had to purchase the book Johnny Walker Ranger Demon Slayer. And I, I, I will admit this about myself. I am the slowest reader on the earth. And I read it in chunks because I have severe ADHD and I get distracted easily. Mm-hmm. And but but I am proud. I can say, which is pretty good. Scott, can you prove that that looks about almost halfway through? I am verifying, Mrs. Ezekiel, <laughs> that she is about halfway through the book. And 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 it is one of those books that while I'm reading it, I really can see this playing out as some quirky show on Netflix or or some network because the characters are so goofy. And at times, politically incorrect. But then I, I admire how the main character is, like, so politically incorrect as the reader. You're like, ooh. And then all of a sudden, the other characters come in and go, mm, no. <laughs> so it kind of checks itself, which I like. And then, of course, we're going to talk about other books that he has in the works. Yeah. What it's like to be a minister turned whore writer. Um, all the fun stuff. So welcome back to the show, Ezekiel. We're glad to have you. Hey, thank y'all. It's so good to be back. I've been looking forward to this as soon as I found out that I was going to be back with y'all. What have, what, I know you've been through a whirlwind of new writing and you have some new things in the works and you've had some good news about some of, uh, I know a book that I also have to start reading that I have a draft of. Yeah. Um, so tell us what you've been doing from the last time we talked to you to now. So since I talked to y'all last, I've moved back home down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I've got my kids with me. So we've been, um, you know, doing a lot of things down here together, um, got them in schools, doing a lot of boy stuff with my boys, <laughs> um, girl stuff with my girls. So that's been really cool to have everybody back down here it's good to be back home i'm actually living in the childhood home that i grew up in oh wow so lots of inspiration for writing has hit me so i've been doing a lot of writing as of late Mm -hmm. um i know the book we talked about uh last time with the doll and the evp and everything theodosia yes yeah she got picked up by a really big publisher, Raventail Publishing. Nice. Excellent. Um, so it was really cool. What happened with that is, and other authors can identify with this. It's like, you know, you get this manuscript. It's your baby. It's uh, Theodosia is my magnum opus of horror. And you're looking for a publisher and you're submitting and you're submitting and you're submitting and the doors are closing, the doors are closing. And then all of a sudden something just pops in your lap. And that's kind of what happened. I had the publisher reach out to me because they know my other publisher stitch smile and stitch smile had told them about me. Mm -hmm. And so they reached out and they're like, Hey, we heard you have a manuscript. We want to look at it. And so I sent it over to them and one thing led to another. And now Theodosia has been renamed. We're calling it the Dreadful Death series. Cool. Based off the name of the entity in the book is called the Tetramet. And I combined a Latin and Hebrew word to make his name. Tetra means dreadful in the Latin and met means death in the Hebrew. And so we named the series after that. It was so long, we had it in three books. 
there was a breakup there. You said you guys were doing three books. Yes, the manuscript was so long we had to divide it into three books. The trilogy. Yes, the trilogy. Secret Theodosia trilogy. Now let's talk about some of the themes that are a part of. Well, I mean, we're going. I guess can we call the working title Theodosia, or we just? No, 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 no. It's been changed. It's I know it's been changed. Okay, I guess so. I guess it's just. uh, All right, fine. Theodosia is the main character, so either way. Yeah. There's themes that you mentioned here to us, um, like God and the problem of evil, predestination, free will, stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a lot. I mean, just those three things I mentioned are both pretty big ideas. Um, And that seems like a lot to try to put into one story. And maybe that's why the manuscript was so big that it had to be broken up into three stories. Am I correct? Yes. What? Yes. Let's start with, well, God and the problem of evil. I mean, I can go on about this for days. I mean, and I mean, I mean, we're obviously not trying to spoil anything here, but I mean, there has to have been some type of inspiration behind that idea. Yeah, there was. When I was uh, in seminary uh, both times to get some of my advanced degrees, God and the problem of evil was always a big area of study for me. I found it very fascinating. And it's a topic that always comes up. Mm-hmm. And so through my years of studying that topic and also my love of horror, I thought the two really gelled well together. Because w- especially when you're talking about a possession movie or book, which Theodosia is, um, it's got possession is one mm-hmm. of the themes in it. And you always see the family struggling as why would God allow this? Why is this happening to us? And I think even when we as people walk through difficult times, we're always asking, why us? Like, why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why are all these bad things coming into my life? When, you know, we haven't done anything. You know, a lot of times the trials that come into our life are outside of our control or are doing. Now, sometimes we do stupid stuff and bring things on ourselves, but uh, a lot of times it's just thrust upon us through the actions of other people or bad circumstances or things like that. So uh, a real big fan of The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty, uh, and uh, his book, The Exorcist and Legion, are two of my favorite horror novels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a pastor who went to writing horror, I was always had the challenge that... um, you know, there's no way that you can make a book absolutely terrifying, yet at the same time make people think. I said, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what what Theodosia is. And when the readers will read this, the book is the most terrifying thing I've ever written. It's given beta readers, uh, some of them nightmares, um, <laughs> paranormal experiences when reading the book um you know so there's a lot of frightening scenes in it but like you said scott there's also we deal with the theme of uh the problem of evil that's that's actually one of the themes because theodosia is raised in a christian family and it's one of the things when all of these events start to happen in the book her father is a uh professor of ancient documents at the college Mm -hmm. And um, he's wrestling with these things that are happening. Even Theodosia herself is wondering, why me? Why is this happening to me? 
that she, you know, not that she fights it. And I get into the book a little bit about, um, you know, because a lot of times in possession stories, there always seems to be an open door, right? What opened the door for this demon to come in? That's kind of one of the running things. In Theodosia, I turned that on its head. There's nothing that she does to open the door. She is just pursued. And so I deal with that theme a little bit as as well. And I don't know how familiar some of the listeners are with certain denominations, but just I'm not going to get into it really deep. But mm-hmm. in evangelical denominations, you have the Methodist side that are really, really pro-free will. And then on the other side, you have the uh, Presbyterian side, which is real big into predestination. The will is not so free. And Theodosia is raised Methodist. And so all of these events are happening and she's questioning free will versus predestination. Um, If I have a free will, why am I still choosing this? Why are these things happening? And so there's talks amongst the characters about that. Uh, There's even talks with some of the pastor, one of the pastors in the book um, really gets into the problem of evil and, um, you know, one of the one of the names some of the listeners might might be familiar with is Saint Thomas Aquinas. Yes. Um, his view during that time period. So I probably should have said the book takes place in the early 1800s. Okay. So it's a historical setting. And Aquinas's view was definitely big in the Methodist denomination there, and it was a view um, of kind of God bringing the good from the evil and you see them wrestle with that view and i interject a little bit of myself from my own personal view in this book when i'm having the pastor talk to theodosia's dad charles and it was kind of a conclusion i came to on my own is that you know we study this topic and we can look for an intellectual answer or an Looked and looked all my life for an intellectual answer to God and the problem of evil. And every view I studied, whether it was from a Christian philosopher or an atheist philosopher, their points and their rebuttals, there was always a weakness. Each view, each major flaws, placed some major weaknesses. And to thinking that even if we had an intellectual answer to this problem, would it take away the pain? Probably not. Would it it, it doesn't. No, I don't. You know, and so, go ahead, I'm go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. And so one of the things the I came to the conclusion of, and this is just my personal stance on it, and where I'm at to this day, and what I kind of interject in the, the book is... God didn't give us an intellectual answer to the problem of evil. He gave us a very practical one in the coming of his son. That Jesus came, he suffered, he died. He went through all of the trials and tribulations. He went through betrayal, mockings, beatings, being cast out of the religious system. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself was an outcast. He is now 
able to comfort us in our tribulation. So God's answer to the problem of evil was a very practical one because the intellectual answer won't do anything to take away the pain. But knowing that we have him to walk us through trials that he himself went through when he was on this earth is for me where I'm at with that answer. Because for me, the practical one is what's going to help me get through my trials. If I have an intellectual answer, that's not going to help me survive. But if I have somebody helping me through who's been through it, then that's how I survive and overcome the evil. Well, and I think that's how we all, we, we, whether religious or not religious, let's say, I think that's how we all process um, death, let's say, death of a loved one whether premature or not we 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 do support one our, each, one another and I, whether it be through 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 spirit uh through spiritualism through religion or just through each other you know one thing that you had my my brain cooking on as you were explaining this Ezekiel was the problem with evil and what you said yeah that is a, that is a great solution to that that idea that problem and I've had this conversation with a lot of people about how we perceive evil, how we perceive this idea, what is evil, what constitutes evil. And I found it to be a fascinating discussion with a lot of people because, you know, and we may be going into the weeds here or here. <laughs> Sorry, but you got me thinking about this, and I think it's really important to talk about. Um, if, for example, and this is just one of a million scenarios, uh, let's say you are taking your family out to a zoo, let's say, right? And a tiger goes crazy and goes and takes your child. And I hate that. I don't want to talk, you know, I'm not saying this to you directly, also yeah. Ezekiel, but let's say a child gets, your child uh, is murdered, is killed by a wild animal, right? Well, I know the first impulse people have is to they want to kill that animal. They want to destroy that animal. The animal is obviously crazy, and we see this happen all the time, right? It's a tragedy, I know. But is the animal truly evil? And I think I think a lot of people would argue the animal is just being the animal. It's yeah. just it's just doing what it's doing. This morning, for example, our kitten we have, Binks. <laughs> I thought she was absolutely insanely evil <laughs> this morning, but all she was doing was being a kitten and running around and wanting to have fun and play with wires and jump on me and, and gnaw my arm and do all these things. But it was driving me crazy and it was making me upset. Right. And I was looking at her going, you're, you're pure evil. What are you doing? But she's not being evil. She's just being an animal. Now I know this is just one scenario and it's, it's about more about animals. Right. But it, but it illustrates the idea that I thought about, about what the problem with, you know, evil is or what constitutes evil is that I don't think it, it, evil comes in just one one coat, one color, one shirt, right? I think it's a way more complicated complex of ideas and emotions. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things you read when you're reading in some of these philosophy books and philosophical discussions. First of all, trying to define what they mean by evil and then having those categories like a moral evil or then what we call acts of nature, mm -hmm. you know, a tornado, tornadoes being a tornado, yeah, but causes pain and suffering when that tornado hits houses with people in them. Yeah. You know, kind of the same thing with your tiger example. Exactly. 
or I mean, technology, for example. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there. A lot of people think handheld devices, smartphones, are they're amazing. They're wonderful. They've changed, and they have changed all a lot of our lives. Let's say, right, for the better or for worse. I don't know. Uh, they've changed our lives. I think for the better, frankly. I do too. I think for the better in most in most situations. But I know there's another side of the camp that's going to go no. These things are inherently evil because of what they're doing to people. And I agree with, I mean, I see both sides of that. Well, that, it depends on how you use it. It's just like anything. Well, people, yeah. Someone can own a gun and use it for target practice and to have fun with it. And then someone can use a gun and, and they, something can happen like what it did, you know, last week in Michigan here in Oxford schools. Yeah, you're, So it you're just right. depends on how you use that. So, I mean, this is a really complicated idea, I think, Ezekiel, that you're, that you're, that yeah. you're trying to tackle here. It Again, it don't have any definite answers it, it, it the religious answer i think you know, as far as the problem the solution to the problem i think that's very that's that's a very good way to look at that though and and as far as part of part of the book and part of your writing i think that's fantastic well and you'll see in the book too there's not really a good answer and a good outcome um mm-hmm. the in the end it's not one of these i think a lot of times People hear a, a pastor writing horror stories. They think it's going to kind of end well or end cookie cutter. And not to give away anything, but it does not end neat. Well, well nothing in life ever ends Well, yeah, neat, I was going to say, know? you and know, it, the reality yeah. is nothing ends up with the bows tied perfectly on both sides usually. Yeah. Um, that's just real life. And so I many think. books, like I think a lot of authors like to tidy things up. And I, there's probably a lot of readers out there that are like, oh, like they can't handle it if it's, you know, open ended or yeah. things like that. It just depends. But well, I think it fits. It. I think it suits that genre, the horror genre, too. The Exorcist, for you mentioned The Exorcist. And I mean, the film specifically. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast last night before I was kind of crashing out. And it was, you know, some goofy guys that are that review horror films and. They had, a, they had a lot of fun talking about The Exorcist, and they all, of course, loved the film. So this is kind of fresh in my mind, thankfully. It's good. I'm glad we brought this came up. Because just the film, for example, you know, that the story, and it follows the story kind of, sort of. Um, and But at the end of the, the movie, for example, William Friedkin, I think he specifically wanted to make sure that we saw little Reagan after this trauma that she went through, right? Because uh, you can see it. It's a film, right? Um, where we want to see her, and she could, you could, she still had cuts all over her face. You follow what I'm saying? It's like she, she was far from perfect. I mean, the story was over, the little girl was saved, but she was still scarred. I mean, and those scars we both know physically will heal up, right? But you see her. And and the story did not end perfectly, I don't think. That girl, obviously, we both know that she was going to live, have years of, of trauma to deal with from an experience like that. And also, she physically was affected, too, right? So that story, at least in film form, did not end perfectly clean. I don't, and again, I don't think anything should end. I mean, it's just the way life works, I think, right? Right. That's it. Go ahead. Uh, and and one of the things I do with the characters in there is, um, you know, you have these high moral Christian people who, when confronted with how they're going to deal with this evil, a lot of those high morals go out the window. 
Um, and okay. I just think that is a kind of an interesting quandary. I see a lot of times and I wanted to bring that out in the book that not everything is black and white all the time. There's a lot of gray and I bring that gray out in the book and these people are forced to do things that they wouldn't normally do in a circumstance that they wouldn't normally find themselves in. Um, and so that's another thing that you'll see with these characters in the book and their progression and their development as well. Well, I think too, I, I, and I don't know if this ties into that or not, Ezekiel, but it's the first thing that popped into my mind was a lot of people stand on a very high moral ground. This is, you know, they, they will, dare I say the term soapbox. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. like, people love to do that. So social media is for now is, is I, I, what's the, what's the term, Amber? Uh, you're, you're the younger one here. What the, what's the, it's a hip thing the kids say now. I, the, hip, the hip, the hip thing, thing, thing the, the kids, kids say? say? The hip thing the kids say now. Uh, on the social medias? The it's, socials? I don't know what you're talking it's about. It's them pushing their, their ideas, whatever you call it. Uh, come on. An yeah. agenda? Not I, agenda. It's some, uh, just give up. It's okay. I'm going to give up. I'm sorry, Ezekiel. <laughs> I'm going to give up. But no, I, I, I was more digressing anyways. Uh, but yeah, that. Social media is fun for that. Uh, people love to will 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 love to show off a high moral ground they're on, right? I think people in general have done that way before social media. Mm-hmm. However, we both know it isn't always that simple, and sometimes your moral ground can be challenged. Um, and sometimes people will, let's just say, the high moral ground will always work for some people. I think until it's not convenient for them anymore. That's I think that's the idea. I don't know if you tackled that in this book or not, but it's an idea. Well, that's I, I, th- I think he's tackled this more in real life, too, because while stalking his socials, I saw that there was <laughs> I, I've seen like I, every once in a while, you know, um, Ezekiel writes something and, I, and it always catches my eye because he's all fired up. And I, I saw something about like, you know, a pastor um, getting down on you, Ezekiel, because of your writing and your divorce. And then you mm-hmm. have these people in these these, uh, you know high places a pastor a priest whatever you know a minister and then you know sitting there and judging you and and i know you've dealt with this a lot just with with your situation with being the type of writer you are and with your past but so yeah you've dealt with this in your own life like recently oh yes and it's uh it seems like all the time now it's it's something coming from from somebody who doesn't know the situation or I don't know, for whatever reason, it makes them feel better about themselves to talk down to other people or condemn other people. But yeah, I've had I've had situations like that, especially with the writing. With well, people having issues with the tent. Yeah. Uh, with how I write some of my characters and stuff like that. And just kind of like, dude, I'm a writer. Right. People are like. You don't have to read it if it triggers you, if it offends you. There's plenty other things to read. But sometimes I think people like being offended so that they can get all up in arms about stuff. Yeah, that's um, yeah. At least that's the way it seems with with my writing with uh with certain Christian uh people. And it's just like, look, you know what I write. Why yeah. do you keep reading it? I, I think I, I was talking with a friend about this today, and I'm, I, might get, I might get yelled at by somebody for this. 
I actually would. It'd be nice to get yelled at by somebody about something. Um, victimization is a very strong currency people carry these days. <laughs> it's something. It's something I just said to somebody today, uh, and some people. And I say the same thing because there's things that I'm, you know, I I see where people just like, oh my god, it's the worst thing ever. I hate this so much. And I'm like, stop watching it. Stop right. reading it. Stop listening to no whatever one's you're doing. You, to look at you, it. you come here and you're eking and eyeing and screaming about it, and you're playing like I, I like you were so offended by, and it could be part of it. You know, you were offended by something that was a part of that. Um, and that's just to me. It seems like victimization, like just just in putting imprinting that on yourself, like a tattoo. Uh, where I, and especially if you're, you know, if you're the person being critiqued, also it's like, well, that wasn't my intention. <laughs> but you seem to be all up in arms about that. So it's something I notice. I'm noticing a bit more nowadays, and I'm offended by that. I'm I'm kidding. I'm not offended by that at all. Amber, are you offended by that? No, I, I mean, people that do get all crazy about, like, that offends me and I don't like it. Well, don't look at it then. But I'm not, I mean, I mean, somebody, I mean, it, but I, what I, the idea I think I'm, I'm seeing now or experiencing is that it, even if you don't like something, like it isn't your fancy, like you don't like the color of something or whatever it might be. It used to be, in my opinion, okay, well, I don't like that. It's not my thing, Right. But I guess now, and I hate to keep, keep beating up on social media, but with these platforms we have, people will go straight to Twitter or straight to wherever and want to go on and on about how much they hate something and, and the reasons they do. And it seems like they're, they're offend, more, they, well, I, it's more of like, of, like they're offended more than they just, it isn't. Well, that's like what they're, they're that's fancy. Well, Ezekiel just said, like yeah. people like to be in a state of like. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. it's like okay, and, you're just trying to find a way to be to be offended or be victimized by something that it just simply isn't your art because it it's fun to get riled up and get other people riled up or to just I don't know. You know, feel it's, fun, something. it's fun. It's it fun make, to get it, riled up. It's a feeling. Up. It's fun to get riled up with your friends discussing art. I don't know about you, Ezekiel, but we do this often. Friends and I get together. We have a couple of beers. And we start arguing about music, or we start arguing about movies. Not in, and not even in a bad way. It just they're jovial, fun, impassioned conversations that we'll have together over a couple of beers. And man, it is a riot. And I think people who maybe have not experienced that you'll find that the spirit of something like that is way different than trying to have a debate with somebody on a thread on Facebook, for example. Well, yeah, yeah and because you're in person. Because you're in person, and yeah, you're going to, and it, you'll find it's a lot of fun to debate about about movies and music and books and all kinds of stuff like that. But okay, yeah, that, that, that's just my idea on that. Sorry, I didn't mean to go into the weeds too far. Mm-hmm. But but uh, go ahead. Were you gonna say people something? know how to get me riled up. All they have to do is say, "Hey, Bruce Campbell sucks." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Them's fighting words." <laughs> I, I gotta tell you a quick one here because I don't know, and I don't know if we've had this conversation or not, Ezekiel. Years ago, I was a bartender. Uh, that was my college job, right? Speaking of Bruce Campbell, and we had to go through this stuff here in Michigan called tips training, T I P S, okay. and it's. Literally an acronym for something that I don't even remember anymore. But our the place we worked at, they wanted us to be educated, to protect, protect the business more or less. They wanted us to go through this training, and they paid for it all. So part of the training was some instructional videos, which were really great because you have you know people like acting drunk, which it's – I, just, only the, I think only the finest actors can really act drunk. So you got somebody like 
wiping off an already dried bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here comes the drunk person falling on the bar. Oh, I'm drunk. Give me a drink. And, you know, you have to. So we're watching this kind of cracking up. And then another scene comes in and this person comes stumbling into the frame. And guess who it is? It's, Take a wild guess. It's Bruce Campbell. It's Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and he was he was just part of the instructional video. They, he, they must have asked him to come do the, you know, re, do some scenes for the video. So, of course. Right. Me and my buddy, we're the class clowns already in this dumb class, and we're in the back, and we're both horror fans. We both jump up like that's Bruce Campbell. That's Bruce. We we freak out, and people are like, "Who the hell is Bruce Campbell?" Was he serious, or did he add some humor to no, it? No, no, he was he was being. He was. I mean, it's 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 a how do I say this? It's not. It's a kind of a low budget. Yeah. You know, they didn't spend a whole lot of money on production values for this thing. And and, and I don't but Bruce Campbell just took the work and oh, I guess he was okay. on there. It's cool. <laughs> okay. Uh and we died. We were like we loved it. We were super happy. I did bump into Bruce a few years after that at a co- at a convention and I asked him about it. He's like, "You saw that?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. I'm like, "I did see that." He's like, "Oh my god." What I... convention did you see him at? Oh, this was years ago. It was it was at a motor it was Motor City Sorry, Motor City Horror Convention oh, years okay. and years ago. It was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, uh, I, you mentioned Bruce Campbell, and I had to I had to let let you hear about hear that one, Ezekiel. I thought you get a kick That's out of awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> whiskey baby. Yeah, <laughs> he's a great guy. He's I mean I've talked to him a couple. I mean I don't we're not friends by any means, but I've had the pleasure to meet him a couple times and chat with him. He's nothing but pure class. Really, really great guy. Super cool. You know what's sad is I didn't even know Bruce Campbell as the 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 horror actor. It was I knew him from Xena. I knew oh, him yeah. as Atalicus, like the the thief. Like that's literally what I was like. Oh yeah, that's what that guy's known for. <laughs> like in my world, it was until I, mean, I you know, dead. got evil older. Dead. Bubba Hotep, <laughs> Evil Dead. I mean that. Yeah, Bubba oh, Hotep. Yeah. I, I can. I worship Bubba Hotep. I think it's such a fantastic yeah, movie. Uh, so, but yeah, Bruce Campbell. He 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 pretty much rules the planet. Um, so let's, I mean, let's let's cut on here somewhere else. Here, um, you, you mentioned to us. Uh, your fiance's mom just passed away. I'm sorry to hear that, by the way, Ezekiel. Um, and there was some strange psychic and paranormal experiences surrounding her, her death. Um, yes. Yeah, let's talk about this. I got to hear about this. So I haven't had any paranormal experiences since I was on the show last with the doll. <laughs> so oh. yeah. I guess impeccable timing. So um, she her mom ended up getting COVID around Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and she went downhill really, really fast. And she just passed away, um, this past Thursday night. Oh, wow. oh my God. And that, that Wednesday, um, I've never met her mother. I've never even talked to her mother before. And I was driving in my truck, talking to my fiance, and I just kind of, I don't know how to explain it. The way I explain it is, it's just something called the reach, where you can project your mind and your soul, not astral projection, but um, almost like you can see something in another room, feel everything, smell the smells. And I saw her mother dressed in white, um, standing there whole. And she was standing by her body 
in the bed that was hooked up to the ventilators. And she started telling me to tell things, to say things to, um, to, to Bethany, my fiance. And I was telling her these things and she just kind of paused. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, your mom is telling you these things. And it was, it was stuff that I didn't know that only her and her mom knew. And then I told her, I said, your mom is telling me to tell you, be ready for 242. And then it was over. And she was like, what is 242? I said, I don't know. I said, it could be a time or something. Well, Thursday, I was in my work truck talking to Bethany again. And um, she said, Ezekiel, hold on, my aunt's calling, I got to take this. And she comes back a few minutes later and she says, Zeke, I got to go to the hospital. My mom's dying. I looked at the time. I said, Bethany, do you see the time? And she said, oh, my God, it's 2.42. So we, she goes, she travels to Pennsylvania to the hospital. And that night I'm going to, uh, to worship practice. I'm starting to help lead worship, um, be in the worship band at the church that I attend. And it was the first practice. So they wanted me just to, to watch. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I feel somebody walk up behind me. I'm like, who's that? And I turn around and I see an apparition of her mother. And she starts saying, tell Bethany this, tell Bethany that, tell her this. So I start texting her these things from her, her mom. And again, it was kind of like the other day, she was like stuff that only her mom would, would know. And the odd thing is, as I'm doing this and looking into the room, I see two angels appear beside her bed. And I say, Bethany, your mom's about to go. It's about time. And she texted me back. She said, as soon as you said that, and they said they're pulling her off life support. And her mom was standing behind me and she said i've got to go i've got to go and her apparition disappeared and then it was like i just felt it when her mom passed on i texted her and i said your mom is gone isn't she and she said as soon as you texted me that she died so that was kind of some of the interesting paranormal psychic phenomenon that um, that happened around her her mom's death. And then I will I will share this. Like after she had passed away, I I stayed up late with with Bethany on the phone and was talking to her and everything and. 
I saw her mom appear again in my room and Bethany was like, I have some of my mom's clothes here that I need to take with her or take to bring to the house and kind of get rid of. Um, and her mom told me, she said, tell her to take the green blouse, the gray blouse and my pair of jeans. And I said, Bethany, I don't know if you're going to believe this, but your mom said she wants her to take the green blouse, the gray blouse and the pair of jeans. And she was like, those are the only three pieces of clothing left in the house of hers. Hmm. Was your fiance at all creeped out by this? <laughs> I mean, um, or was she comforted? She was comforted. She wasn't creeped out. Okay. Um, because she knows that this is kind of, um, I mean, obviously it's not something that happens on the daily with me, but it has happened. And okay. so she, she knows and respects the, the gift and stuff when it, when it does happen. Um, but yeah, it was just a really kind of a surreal experience with it all. I want to say, first thing I want to say, Ezekiel, is I want to thank you for sharing that. That's something I, in my opinion, that that's a personal thing, right? Maybe I'm mm -hmm. wrong, but that's a personal thing. It's a family thing. And I want to thank you for sharing that. Um, that's an emotionally um, crushing thing. I've been through it myself. I think, well, most of us will go through that our entire, you know, before our, our lives are over, right? And um, yeah. I, I mean, and I know... I guess the question I have is, you know, having, you know, seeing, I, I always make the joke and I know I'm totally wrong. I'm as psychic as the, as the mixing board in front of me right now. I don't, I, I can't, I, I can't see things. Uh, Amber did ask a good question. Like, you know, how'd your wife respond to that? Um, I, I guess the other question I, I would have around that too, if you care to care to share that is, you know, being in the clergy, let's say, right? How do other p has other how has other people responded to that? As far as being, you know, in the religious community, let's say, we'll find out if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's a really I, go ahead. Anna. I would hope that people would because there are so many, and I we probably touched on this the last time Ezekiel was on the show, but there, yeah. the Bible is full of paranormal, supernatural topics and and crazy things and violent things and, and happy things and good things. And I would hope that someone, w if someone were to hear this and hear Ezekiel's experience and, and what he can sometimes uh, perceive the messages he can get. And sometimes maybe just go, you know what? That's really cool. That's, that's either God or spirit, like working through him to comfort, you know, his fiance to get a message across that's God helping messages come across, you know, building a bridge through a human being into the, you know, the afterlife yeah, yeah. instead of the people that are just quick to go, that's the site Satan trying to communicate with him. Like just instantly go into like, what, what, just because humans can do, which I think I don't never understood why there's so much conflict with speaking to the dead or those, you know, that have passed on and, and Christianity, or at least some of the denominations. It's always frustrated me because, like I just said, there's so much going on that's supernatural yeah. in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There is. I'm actually, um, I write for Stitch Smiles magazine, House of Stitch, and I have a, uh, a section that I do for each magazine called The Paranormal Pastor. Ah. And I'm starting to do a series on... Um, 
like different supernatural beings and psychic phenomenon. Um, and I mean, that other Christians won't really read that magazine, but in it, I, I defend psychic phenomenon. Like I will defend, I've already got the articles written. I just got to, you know, it's just over the course of the magazine, they'll be published. Um, to defend that and how it's not anything evil or demonic or satanic. Um, you know, it's, it's a natural or not natural, but it's kind of a preternatural phenomenon that uh, happens in this world. Right. And some people have a little bit of that gifting and ability, just like some people are writers. Some people are doctors. We all have different types of, of gifts and how, that type of thing shouldn't be looked down upon as something evil and satanic. Well, what if this? What if the idea of this thing is this too? Like, I just got done saying, "Well, I'm a psychic." Is this mixing board in front of me? What if part of what our our path is here is is spiritual beings, as children of God? Let's say, uh, is is to make that connection. What if that's maybe one of the things we try to strive for in life? Uh, besides, maybe it's something that I should strive for besides sitting down here doing a podcast talking about it all the time. But we are. We're discussing it. We're discussing it. We're, I mean, okay, we're not actively doing, like, I'm meditations. About, I'm, that's or, what I'm talking about. I may, I may be trying to actually strengthen my psychic <laughs> Open my muscle. third eye. Open my third yeah. eye, right? What if, that, what if that is part of, you know, the plan uh, of this thing? I mean, and, and, again, I'm, we're talking all hypothetical type stuff here, right? What if, what if it's the opposite of evil? What if it? What if it's part of the, the Bible? I mean, Amber, you just got done saying that there's all these stories in the Bible, and you're right. There's all these stories in the Bible. What if that is people who are working with? And I'll, I'll just I'll dive right in. You know, working working in God's plan. Like these are people that have. I don't think anybody ever gets it right, because <laughs> we're, we're inherently imperfect, right? But what if it's people that have? This is the direction I need to go into. I need to become more. This is part of becoming a more spiritual being, a more full being. I mean, that's my question slash statement, I guess, is what if that really is the is the thing? And, and people are construed. They're just looking at it the wrong way, thinking that just because you may see people that have passed on, that that's inherently evil, <laughs> which right. makes that makes that that concept even more more complex. Right. Um yeah. Is it, I mean, wouldn't you think that that could be part of the plan here, Ezekiel? Yeah, and I think there is so much that we don't know about how the other side operates because even in the Bible and other religious texts, we are given so little. And so for us to be dogmatic about it and to say what it is or what it isn't, I think is the utmost arrogance. But I think that's probably where the cha- that could be where the challenge is at here too, because everybody interpret. I mean, we both know this, Ezekiel, and people interpret the Bible in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. So it'd be very easy for me, for example, to interpret it like, well, we're all supposed to become psychics. That's what the Bible's telling us, and here's the reason. Here are the scriptures that say that, right? And it's an interpretation. And then Amber says, no, that's BS. You're, you're completely nuts, dude. You're, Sounds you're, right. You're, you're insane. And here's, <laughs> the, well, they don't want this because 
And here are the scriptures that say the reason is not to. I mean, we've been, I think this has been a problem with, I mean, I think it's, well, I think it, it, could, it could have lended to be some really great debate and great conversations. Unfortunately, I think we've had wars over this, which kind of sucks, <laughs> right, uh, is interpreting uh, the Bible, right? So I guess, I think that's, I guess that's what the problem is here. If, I mean, am I wrong on that, Ezekiel? No, no, that, uh, that's, that's part of it. Not... I, I think that that may be the plan. Maybe we should become more spiritual people. Maybe we should, we, we should work on that. I mean, and I, I know I'm working on that too. I can honestly say between you and I, uh, I think this point in my life is the most spiritual I think I've ever been. I'm always tapping in. It seems like nowadays, um, you know, where I know a decade ago, it was like, no, I, you know, I am my own rock. I stand on this rock, like centurion with a sword in my hand, you know, and no, it's, um, I guess maybe, maybe it's age. Maybe it's experience. Uh, maybe it's getting cats. <laughs> I don't know. It it, it it softens you up a little bit, Amber. I I was wondering if you have any thoughts on this. Being um, with your theological background, my my grandpa constantly with like our weather and COVID and all these things going on. My grandpa will always just start to go, "Well, these are the end times," <laughs> and he'll just start kind of going off on this like dark, weird Hal Lindsey speech about what's going on. And but yeah. I'm wondering if if like you kind of have that vibe that we're in some type of end time situation here on this planet. Um, my understanding, and this is just Ezekiel Kincaid's understanding of scripture, is um, when we look in the Book of Acts with the resurrection of Jesus, that started the quote unquote end times. So my understanding is that we've been in the last days since the resurrection of Christ. And yeah. I see the book of Revelation as kind of an idealistic spiritual book with some very poignant historical things that took place in the days of those seven churches that John wrote to. So... To say that we're in the latter days, yeah, we've been in them for 2,000 years. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to say that, um, you know, COVID is a plague, it's the end time. You know, we could have said that about the bubonic, the bubonic right. plague. Spanish flu. Uh, you know, so all of these things, these, these cycles of things coming through the earth like that, I think are for us as humans – we realize that our lives are finite. This world isn't it. So let's fix our eyes and our hope on something bigger than us. I think it's a matter of interpretation also. I mean, of course, we've heard a million people say that about COVID. And they've interpreted this as end times. This is mm-hmm. this is it, guys. It's coming. Put <laughs> your put horsemen. Your, yeah, put your seatbelts on. We got to <laughs> deal with this thing. Uh, 9-11, people were perceiving oh, that, sure, too, as, sure. as end times. Well, like, oh, when a comet is... comes over, you know, like, yeah. oh, Haley's yeah. Comet, you know, you get, like, little cult groups. Yeah. Um, I oh. mean, I think a lot of people interpret things when they happen like that. Like, well, this is going to, this is, well, okay, well, 9-11, as we know, was really it was horrible. Bad. It was really bad. Bad. Um, and I think the way people perceive it is they, well, this is the trigger. This is the tipping point. This this is only one occurrence, which was really bad, but it didn't obviously end the world or end our experience as humans. But I think a lot of people interpret it as, well, this is the start, and now we're going to have other stuff happen after that. But in a biblical sense, though, and 
tell me if I'm wrong here, Ezekiel. Um, you're saying, obviously, the end times were starting when, when Jesus Christ had risen. So, yeah, 2,000 years. It seems that, you know, in biblical sense, it, I, it would match up with astronomical type senses, you know, in numbers like that. And that makes sense to me. Like, you know, 2,000 years, I mean, really, in a, in a universal sense, 2,000 years is kind of the blink of an eye if you, if you, if you follow what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think, and that's my personal belief, whatever my you know, beliefs are, basically, is that these things just don't happen overnight. We're not going to wake up one morning and, and see a big sign in the sky that says the end is near. <laughs> right? We're not going to see that. It's going to be something that I think, and I mean, really, you know, maybe I'm just riffing here, but what the hell are the end times anyways? Because I hear people say there's interpretations of that also. Well, everything's just going to end. Okay, well, what happens after that then? I mean, it seems to me like something else has to happen. I hear other people say things like, no, we're going to change. There's going to be a change. There's going to be a change with people. I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but it seems like it may be something more gradual, right? Not um, something that's just going to happen overnight. It's like people who thought on 2012 uh, when that day happened, that was just like, mind calendar. We're all going to be, you know, elevated, floating around celestial beings. And well, then, yeah. you know, the next we, day, we're all I still here. I think we've all had enough time to realize that, okay, the stroke of midnight, 2000, whatever, 2012. Y2K. Y2, or Y2K. <laughs> it's a stroke of midnight. Everything's just going to end. That I, was a I, weird one. I, 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 don't, I don't buy that anymore. I, and, and not because I've, it's come and gone. Um, I don't think it's just, I just don't think it's that simple, Ezekiel. I don't think it's that easy. I think it's there's, go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you. It's oh. not. That's why there's more interpretations on the end times with the Bible than there are any other topic of Scripture. Well, I think it's I fascinating. That. It talk, well, it talks about our mortality. Well, and think about what makes popular movies and books and everything. Again, it's those supernatural, almost horror-like elements of the Bible that, you know, you pull out and either get a lesson from or you get some entertainment out of. But it's yeah, because the four the four horsemen like just that just the idea of well, I'll say that would be pretty heavy like, to see. Would be, that would be a well, I no, would be, it wouldn't be cool. It'd be, it would no, be sucky. No, I think. but it would be kind of epic if you got to play the Metallica song while it's happening. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I think that idea that if something like that happened, I know Neil Gaiman made and I forgot which book he I read of his that he made. Is that they made the, they made this the series of it, Amber? American um, Gods. No. The, oh, oh, no. Uh, omens. Uh, uh, yeah, omens. Yeah. Good omens. Or, good omens. Or bad omens. No, bad omens. But bad omens. Is it good omens? Oh, no, good omens. Good omens was Terry Pratchett. Okay. Yeah, was yeah. it bad omens? Look it up, Amber. Yeah, we got yeah, the we have that. the technology My. here. He makes light on that. Uh, Neil Gaiman. Uh, he he. Uh, I, I I can't I can't do anything until Amber finds this out. It's going to drive me nuts, Ezekiel. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, hurry up. I'm hurrying. Hurry up. Come on, let's go. I'm hurrying. Chop, chop. Come on, chop, chop. I can do this quicker than you. I you, got my laptop You probably in front can because you have a laptop and I have a, fo- I have a phone and thumbs that don't bend. Hang on. Well, you know what? It's it's Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. It's, uh, or Gaiman. it's Good Omens. They wrote it, it together. It, it is Good Omens. Yeah, it was, they did write that together. 
There yeah, we go. So, yeah, I, we, everyone was all we right. We were all right, yeah. We were all right. They make light on that. It just made me think about that when I read yeah. that book. Um, they make light on that idea. It, well, the, it's it's more of a comedy. We, you know that also, Ezekiel. It's kind of a comedy, and it plays light on that. And they do play light on the four horsemen of the, po- the apocalypse, basically, too. Um, when they show up, they're just sitting in a bar, I think, <laughs> just hanging out, having a drink. And some people realized who they were. But that point aside, I just don't think – that the apocalypse, let's say, and I guess that that's the term, um, is going to be that simple, Ezekiel. I don't think it's going to be just something that happens one day. We wake up or we're at we're at work one day and all of a sudden the end comes. I just don't – I think it's something that's just kind of happening. Maybe it's happening – well, like you said, I mean, what am I, what am I saying? It could be happening literally as we're speaking right now. We're in the end times and it's a gradual thing that just happens, right? Okay, I think we've beaten the hell out of this subject. <laughs> Go ahead, Amber. You know, you got. I don't know if you want to talk about this at all, but you do have another work uh, manuscript that you're writing called "The Crucifixion of Lilith." Yes. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what this one's going to be? Yes, this is. So uh, I write in various different styles, and it helps keep me from getting bogged down. Uh, you readers will read Theodosia, uh, the Dreadful Death series, and realize it's totally night and day from Johnny Walker Ranger Demon right. Slayer. <laughs> um, which we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah. If we have. Um, so the crucifixion of Lilith, I write it in kind of a horror fantasy style. And for readers to want to get a feel of what that style of mine is like, they can go to Puzzle Box Horror. I wrote a four-part story there called Phantom War where I write in a kind of a horror fantasy style. And what this manuscript is, it's book one of a two-book series that I'm writing, and it's the origin story of my Tetramet entity. Okay. And what I do is I take the, the Lilith myth and kind of work with it, um, bring some of the main themes out in it, and she and the Tetramet are kind of the main character. And I take Lilith and kind of turn her on her head a little bit. So we all know Lilith as horror fans, as being this demon of lust, the succubus, this baby eater, um, a woman of bloodlust. And I bring that element out of her into the story. And do you see her for, for who she is, how um, she wants to pit men against uh, women, women against men, very domineering, uh, very lustful. And she continues in this type of characteristic until she gets a real taste of what love is all about. But at that point, it's too late for her. Um, she has already kind of destroyed everything in her world. And uh, the Tetramet used to be a guardian cherub. Uh, stuff happens with him where he ends up getting cursed and becomes who he is. And there's this love connection between the Tetramet and Lilith um, that starts off really, really good. But as things begin to happen to both of them, they begin to let 
rage and hate and bitterness and anger build up and totally cloud and pervert everything good that they could have been and everything good that they have so that they end up ends up becoming entity that pure evil that you'll see in the rest of my writings okay the series and lilith actually will become worse off than what she was before okay and there's some events that happen in book two that is really going to thrust her ahead as this character that we all really know her as in horror i love when authors do like add like little things because this is just a thirty thousand word book am i right yes so it's one okay so it's just like like something small bite-sized like just a pre just a to preface just to kind of add like supplement something that's already you know out there i love that kind of stuff we, i want to end on a happy note with because yes. i know we've been talking about like end times and all these other you know so i want to i want to end you know. on johnny walker ranger demon slayer and uh to all the listeners out there i would love to read the back of the book it's uh because it makes me laugh. So this book, um, when did, how long has this been out? Ezekiel? It came out uh, February 2020. Okay, that's what I thought. It hasn't been out that long. So this is from the back of the book. What's more badass than a redneck demon slayer? Try a redneck demon slayer who leads a demon-killing team called the Bruce Campbells. Rednecks, emos, and a Jamaican <laughs> unite to take on the forces of hell. Johnny Walker Ranger has discovered the secret of killing demons. There's just one problem. Oxford, Mississippi isn't crawling with demon-possessed people. So to fulfill his calling, Johnny must come up with a way to get people possessed. Things get out of hand, and Johnny must work fast to save his town from the impending demon apocalypse. Johnny Walker Ranger, he's not the hero we deserve. He's not even the hero we want. He's the one we're stuck with because he's called by God. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, and I think that's a good synopsis of the book. Um, and like I said, this, this book is, it makes you laugh while you're reading it. Uh, I can definitely see this as a movie. Um, do you plan on doing anything more with this character down the road? Oh, absolutely. I have several short stories out written by Johnny, by the character himself, writes his own stories. Okay. Um, some of those are on horrorbound, uh, dot net. Um, the readers can, uh, go to there and look he has one called um kraken jack or something like that um where he he does kind of a spoof on jaws with the kraken (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) um and i am finishing up book two and so that will probably be out by stitch smile publications um late next year um the the premise of that one is Johnny is really getting some notoriety for his demon slaying adventures. And he realizes that in order for him to kill more demons, he needs to get more famous. So (laughs) in, in the book, towards the end of the first one, Gabriel, the angel comes into play and Gabriel, the angel has to really fix a lot of Johnny's messes. Well, Gabriel has what's called a God phone and it can do anything because it's a God phone. So in the second book, what Johnny does is he gets Gabriel drunk. (laughs) He steals his God phone and uses the time travel lab. (laughs) 
And he his plan is to go back in the days of Jesus, get his name in the Bible, oh, write God. his own gospel to get his own gospel into the Bible so that people will read it and then recognize that he is this prophet that quote unquote Jesus wow. talked about that one. <laughs> Which well, it turns into a huge cluster. Right. <laughs> a lot of things go wrong, a lot of things go bad. So he ends up getting exiled to an Amish paradise. <laughs> where he had to fight a demon apocalypse there uh, that happened because one of the members of the Amish community snuck in a Joel Osteen book. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> Ezekiel, thank yeah. you so much for spending some time with us again. This was a great way. I think this is going to be the last show we do with Ghostly Yeah, this is this the year. last one for the year. And uh, I'm really glad we got to end it with you. So thank you again. And, and as always, would love to have you back again. Yeah, thank you all for having me, Scott and Amber. I appreciate it and would love to be back on. Ghostly Talk! <laughs> 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 <laughs>